When it comes to Vincent van Gogh's struggle with his mental health, there are at least three ways we can go wrong. The first is to try to define and diagnose it from afar. A bad idea in any case, never mind across a distance of more than 130 years. The second is to romanticize it. Whereas for Vincent, these were difficulties from which he dearly hoped to be delivered. And the third is to sensationalize it, to focus voyeuristically on lurid details, and so to turn Vincent into a kind of freakish, mad genius, someone abnormal, an aberration. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, more than 50% of all Americans will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some point in their lifetime. More than 50%. Not to mention the undiagnosed cases. Mental illness isn't abnormal. It's part of what it means to be human. Vincent's difficulties in this regard, his openness about them in his letters and in his work, these things don't create distance between him and the rest of us. On the contrary, they make him all the more accessible and relatable and familiar. They make him human. And when it comes to the central event of the Christian gospel, the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, when it comes to Easter Sunday, there are similar pitfalls. In this concluding episode of The Gospel According to Vincent, we'll explore those pitfalls and their remedies one at a time, opening up the most sacred day on the Christian calendar by seeing it through Vincent's eyes. I'm Matthew Meyer Bolton, and this is Strange New World, a show about understanding the Bible for skeptics, believers, and everybody in between. A friend of mine once put it to me this way, if you're struggling with physical health or exterior circumstances, at least sometimes you can escape either withdrawing from the circumstances or, if that's not possible, withdrawing into yourself, into an interior refuge. But struggles with mental health, they follow you wherever you go. Withdraw into another set of circumstances and they go with you. Withdraw into your interior refuge and they'll be there too, waiting for you when you arrive. Struggles with mental health can even hinder your attempts to withdraw and take care of yourself in the first place. Whispering words of discouragement. It's no use. Just deal with it. And if you can't, you may as well just give in and give up. Wheat fields with crows under a stormy sky is Vincent's last major work, though it's not his last painting. At the time of his death, he was working on a study of some exposed tree roots along a roadside. And partly because Wheat fields with crows is one of his last paintings, it's often interpreted as a portrait of menace and madness. But Vincent's own words point in a different direction. He wrote to his brother Theo, They are vast fields of wheat under troubled skies, and I did not need to go out of my way to try to express sadness and extreme loneliness. I hope you will see them soon, since I almost think that these canvases will tell you what I cannot say in words, the health and restorative forces I see in the country. 
The skies are troubled, Vincent says, evoking sadness and loneliness, but in the end, the overall effect is an example of nature's health and restorative forces. In an earlier letter to Theo, Vincent proclaims that just looking at a wheat field, even in the form of a picture, as he put it, offered a great deal to suffering people, and so is much more useful than abstract words or hollow assurances. Moreover, the Japanese artists that Vincent so admired, they often included in their compositions humble, common birds, often blackbirds. The sky in wheat fields with crows, then, may indeed be stormy, but the regenerative powers of nature, both in the wheat and in the crows, rise to meet it. We associate Easter with trumpets and triumph, but as Luke tells it, the story of that fateful morning is more complicated. It's early dawn, Luke says. Not just dawn, but early dawn, morning twilight. Have you ever been awake at that hour? There's a kind of fuzziness in the air, a mix of light and shadow. It's easy to miss things or mistake them for other things. Wildlife is active, birds and deer and the rest. It's a time of quiet and also a time of encounter, or at least the potential for encounter. It's a time of mystery, of being not quite sure of things. And the mysteries just compound from there. The women arrive with spices for Jesus' corpse, but the great stone sealing the tomb has somehow been rolled away. Jesus' body is gone, and two men in dazzling clothes are suddenly beside them, saying, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that he'd be crucified and on the third day rise again? The particular Greek word here for remember indicates a tangible, active form of remembrance, sort of like re-experiencing something from the past as if it's happening here and now, prompting you to respond, to act. The same underlying word is in Mary's Magnificat at the beginning of Luke, where she sings that God actively helps Israel in remembrance of God's mercy. And also at the end of Luke, when a thief being crucified beside Jesus says to him, Jesus, remember me. Again, remembering as a form of action. And so, when the strangers say to the women, remember how he told you, they're essentially provoking them, as if to say, remember what he said, re-experience what he said as though he's saying it right now, and then act on it. And the women do just that. Luke puts it this way, then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The trust and action of the women are met with distrust and inaction. For Luke, this is a story of faith and doubt, testimony 
and contempt, remembering and forgetting. It's a blend, an early dawn twilight, a combination of contrasts. A few believe, and many others, even some of Jesus' closest followers, don't. Easter morning, in other words, is full of shadows. And once we begin to look for them, we can find those shadows everywhere. The Savior is risen, but the wounds of crucifixion remain. The brutal, corrupt empire, by all appearances, is still in power. And the disciples, for their part, have betrayed and abandoned Jesus, melting away when it mattered most. And now they don't believe the women's testimony. Their shame, their sorrow, their wounds remain as well. It's a measure of how devastating it must have been to pin everything, your whole life, on following this teacher, joining this movement, and then, just at the moment you think will be the greatest victory, the arrival at last in Jerusalem, the holy city, everything unravels in the most disgraceful, heartbreaking way. Easter is a time of despair, of sadness and extreme loneliness of those whispered words of discouragement. It's no use. You may as well give in and give up. And then, right there, in the midst of all that, something else, something more. Vincent's Wheat Fields with Crows Under a Stormy Sky can help us meditate on this mix of light and shadow. Easter is indeed a time for trumpets, but it's only the beginning. The skies are still troubled. Loneliness and heartache hang in the air. And yet, at the same time, the loving, liberating power of God is on the move vibrantly clear if we have eyes to see, in the wheat rising, in the crows rising, the wind rising, and our spirits rising as we behold this dynamic, healing scene. That's what Vincent means when he says that he hopes Theo will see this painting soon, since it will tell you what I cannot say in words, the health and restorative forces that I see in the country. On one hand, it's just an ordinary vista, some birds over a wheat field. But no, for Vincent, this is a portrait of restoration, proclaiming good news in ways that reach beyond words. The first way to misunderstand Easter is to diagnose it from afar, to give it a definition, to say, this is what it means, and turn the page. On the contrary, Easter is a great mystery, a time of twilight, of being not quite sure of things. And not just a mystery way back then, but a mystery here and now, today. Everywhere we look, overwhelming sorrow and despair, and yet, and this is the hard part, the part that requires careful attention, 
even more overwhelming beauty and hope in the midst of that sorrow and despair. Easter can't be defined once and for all, but only approached again and again, like a tomb at early dawn. A second way to misunderstand Easter is to romanticize it, to reduce it to trumpets and lilies and imagine that the work is done and that God has done it and that's all there is to it, and alleluia, he is risen, and move on with our day. But on the contrary, Easter is a call to action. The wounds and sorrows and loneliness remain. God is redeeming and restoring the world. The question is, will we play our part in that restoration, that healing and encouragement, that justice and kindness? And a third way to misunderstand Easter is to treat it as an abnormal aberration, a freakish one-off, a special case long ago and far away, one Sunday once a year. On the contrary, Easter is an icon of the work God is doing and has been doing and will continue to do all around us and within us every day. If we have eyes to see, we can see it in the crows, in the wind, in the wheat. Or again, we can see it in the swirling starry sky above or in a muddy pair of shoes below. We can see it in a sower, scattering seeds over the ground, or hear it in a lullaby, sunflowers on an Icelandic fishing boat. And we can see it in an old family Bible, open to the words of an ancient prophet and set beside a beloved work of modern literature, La Joie de Vivre, the joy of living. Everywhere we look and listen and feel, wherever we go, consolatory art for distressed hearts. Maybe the reason Van Gogh understood painting that way is because his own heart was so often distressed. And in the end, perhaps, distress overtook him. We'll never know. But here's what we do know. Vincent devoted his life to that gospel of consolation, that whispered word of encouragement. And though he may not have always heard it himself, for that very reason, he wanted us to hear it and to proclaim it one to another. That's the gospel according to Vincent. And even more, that's Vincent's vision of the gospel according to God, the good news that despite the world's betrayals and cruelties, God has not and will not give up on us, but rather is with us wherever we go. Again and again, rising and helping us to rise into the people we were born to be. Three ways to misunderstand Easter. To define it, to reduce it to a romantic tale of triumph, and to treat it as an aberration. And three remedies, to approach it as a mystery, to receive it 
as a call to action and to treat it as an icon, a picture of what the God of love is doing today and tomorrow. In recent years, many of Van Gogh's paintings have been carefully, painstakingly restored, removing layers of grime and varnish and wax, and through expert analysis, discovering their original vivid colors. It's a kind of parable for what the spirit is doing in creation. And this way of thinking acknowledges the grime and the wax, the ways we need to repent and change, the things we need to let go of, But the emphasis in restoration isn't on the grime, it's on the work of art underneath. How each one of us is a beautiful, beloved child of God, called to participate in God's larger restoration of the world. Though we may be wounded or oppressed, though we may struggle with physical or mental health, sad or lonely, tired or timid, skeptical or faithful, or a twilight blend of both, God calls us to reclaim our deepest identity as nothing less than a masterpiece made by the greatest artist of them all carefully, lovingly, painstakingly being restored, and so to get about the business of restoring creation. God calls us to remember that, and not just remember it as an idea, but also remember it as an action, as a summons, and ultimately as a way of life. Vincent's last painting, that portrait of exposed tree roots, it's a fitting coda for his life and work. What could be more ordinary and easier to overlook? Tree roots exposed by a roadside. And though he couldn't have known it then, we've now learned about this amazing symbiotic web of connections underground, roots and fungi, through which the trees share nutrients and information with each other to help each other thrive. The web of life, we might say, down below the visible surface of things, a vitality hidden in plain sight, if we have eyes to see. Under our feet, and also over our heads, close by and also far away, wherever we go, a light up on the horizon, just beginning to glow, a whispered word of encouragement, a glimmer of good news amid the shadows, like a trumpet heard far off in the distance, announcing a new world already on its way. The Gospel According to Vincent is a mini-series by Strange New World, a SALT project production, written and produced by me, Matthew Meyer Bolton, with help from Elizabeth Meyer Bolton. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. If you like what you hear, spread the word and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help people find us. And drop us a line at community at saltproject.org. And if you'd like to go deeper, SALT has a devotional called Vincent van Gogh and the Beauty of Lent, which includes more details, activities, links to the paintings, and more. 
You can find it in the store at saltproject.org. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.